I'm Stephen Adams. This is Down to Doug. I'm, I'm miffed and peeved. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of CLNS Media, DailyThunder.com, and featured on Dash Radio at 5 o'clock Central Time. With me today is my good friend, Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? I'm not sure we are a friend anymore. <laughs> Why? You're, you're the, the leading candidate for the Russ Hater Party. <laughs> so I don't know if I can call you my friend. Like, how dare you? You're so disrespectful uh, to him. You're keeping, I don't know. I know, All man. All good here, by the way. <laughs> no, man, I'm such a hater. I just, yeah. I just can't help it. It's just, it's just who I am. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, dude, it's it's August 26th. We're getting close to the training camp, but we're still about a month away. Like the USA team is playing right now. It's. 6 a.m. in OKC, uh, and I just could care less about <laughs> the USA team, to be honest. Like, I don't really care about a team that has like Brooke Lopez and Kimba Walker as their best players. I'm just not. I'm not into that. I watched like 10 minutes of their loss against Australia. Yeah, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and I mean, it, it was not a great game. I mean. Yeah, I, I switched off after ten minutes. Yeah, I just saw I didn't some, like it as much. Somebody tweeted that they were they had scored twenty points on twenty two possessions and they were leading by eleven. I was like, oh, I'm out on that. Like, I don't, I don't want to watch that game. Yeah, I mean, FIBA basketball has by by its nature, by the fact that you have um, the three point line being closer, and so you have less space. It's much more difficult to to score in general. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can think the opposite because the three point line is closer. But actually, that that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like to a to a good shooter being two three feet in, it doesn't make a huge difference. The big difference is the space that you have to operate in pick and roll and stuff like that. That that changes a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I mean the low possession. The, the low scoring games are are very common. I mean, in professional leagues here, in forty minutes, you can you can watch games ending sixty five fifty five or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. This and happens it's, to it's me like, every Sunday. It's like college basketball. Yeah, yeah, but you have the, the twenty four uh, seconds shot clock, mm-hmm. so you expect like a faster game. Ooh. But um, I mean, measurements really make a difference there mm-hmm. in terms of um, the quality and uh, I don't know the quickness of the game it is it is really different yeah that's crazy uh, I don't think there's anything thunder related that's that's happened uh, I saw Karis Levert what do you think about Karis Levert's contract extension he's making basically 17 and a half million a year for the next three years yeah I think uh it's a good deal for both um maybe with a very healthy season he could have gotten like more like 25 or 23 something like that but if he if he decided to take that i don't know how confident he is in his health 
And right. on the other side, if you're Brooklyn, you are paying a guy who plays 50, 60 games a season that amount. Um, so you're basically paying 70% of the player, mm-hmm. 70 millions, which I think it's fair. Yeah. So it's it's not excited because you are very scared about how many games he will he play next season, and and that that goes both sides. And I think this is why they they cut the deal because if you think about him as a player as a level um, about the level of uh, of a player that he is, you can think he's close to a max deal. Um, I know there are media reporters that. The thought during the summer that Levert was up for a big, big uh, payday next summer. And so, yeah, I think that his health is a major concern for both sides, and, and this is the result. Yeah, that's obviously true. And he was, I mean, he was an injury concern at the draft. I mean, he's been an injury yeah. concern for, for a long time. And he had to read through the 2015 draft because of an injury, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. Yeah, he's a really good player. He's a wing that can handle, he can shoot it, he can do a lot. And, you know, that's why he gets the kind of deal that he got. But, you know, if health wasn't a factor, there's no way that he signs that deal. There's just no way. Yeah, he took less than Rozier. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> he took less than yeah. Rozier. I mean, oh. the point is another point is that we are always thinking about Lavert as a as a shooter and he was that in college but in the NBA he never really translated as a high level shooter yeah I don't have the percentage um, on, like at hand so I, I have to think about uh, from the top of my head he's in the low 30 I think yeah I've, I've got it here just a second yeah I remember yeah he's 30. 32 last or 31 last year 34 yeah. second year 32 yeah i mean that's not yeah. that's not wonderful and he's not super high volume either last year yeah. he took 3.9 per game you know he's taken 12 shots a game three of them almost four of them are threes yeah so it's it's not his primary weapon and it's not the really sharpened weapon either mm-hmm. so um i don't know i mean these and health i think played a major factor in in him signing a good contract because it's a above level for an for a starter so i mean it's it's good money and it's guaranteed money mm-hmm. um i think this is where uh he he had to take the risk of getting less but getting sure money and and brooklyn has a good deal because even if Lover doesn't really play next season. Say that he plays 42, 45, 50 games. I think you can trade him without giving up an asset. Yeah. Because you may still have hopes that by next year he is more healthy or something like that. And mm-hmm. so I, it's it's not a bad deal. It can cannot be a bad deal um, unless he has like a career-ending injury that it's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hasn't had a positive net rating so far in his career, which is kind of interesting, especially for last year. Yeah. But, you know, that that Nets team wasn't great. I think that we probably perceived them as a lot better than they really were last year in our heads just because 
Everybody has Daisy's such so good. Bad. Yeah, people have such good things to say about Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson and that whole organization, and everything they've done, and you're just more prone to like think positively of them, and you're like, oh, they didn't win that many games last year, and you know, I mean, it's just interesting. Everybody's perspective. And you look at like the Thunder, and everybody probably has a lot of negative thoughts about the Thunder last year. And it's like, you know, they had some pockets where they were really successful, and it's yeah. it's just it's just funny perception and like how much better of a coach is Kenny Atkinson than Billy Donovan? Like, I I don't I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I think that perception, especially from Twitter and NBA podcasting and everything else, would say that like, oh, it's Kenny Atkinson by like. A it's not miles, even close. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that may yeah, not be I the mean, case. We just don't know. Yes. I mean, it's much easier to win 38, 40, 41, 42, 43 games in the East than competing with two stars that are kind of selfish. I mean, not selfish is a bad bad word. It's They are not uh, Mike Conley-like. Yeah. Like Mike Conley is a guy that has playmaking in his head. Uh, and he... Well, anyway. Uh, but to be fair, like they're both on a level that Mike Conley has never reached. Yes, they are better players, but they are players that have a strong will in terms of the way they are going to play. Yeah. And and so Atkinson's never had someone like that. You can say that D'Angelo was kind of that player because he had a way of playing that it was very peculiar it was pick and roll heavy and blah 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 but like coaching Russ is is much much different than than coaching other other stars and I mean as much as PG has his like when you talk to him or, or when you hear him talking is um, very accommodating on, on others uh, perspective and blah 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 he has his own way to play as well like it's it's not easy as a coach to 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 deal with superstar, uh, and clearly, I mean, there are plenty of coaches that are successful with superstar. Doc mm-hmm. Rivers, for example. But when you compare uh, Doc Rivers to Bill Donovan, you are making probably a fair comparison. Like Doc had stars, and he had success. Um, with Atkinson or the, or other low-level player, low-level um, coaches that had like stars but not superstar, uh, it's it's a bit different. And coaching, again, coaching in the East is very, very different. Because if Billy Donovan has the Thunder roster of last season in the East, he wins probably 55 games and no one is even putting uh, those two coaches in a uh, comparison, I think. Right. No, I think that that's totally right. And, you know, Atkinson's going to get his, he's going to have his, struggle this year with Kyrie Irving, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Brett Stevens failed, so yeah. kind of failed. Yeah, I mean, failed. I mean, they, they lost Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. Yeah. You know, because, and it's probably largely just because of the season that they had. I mean, if they had a great season, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford aren't leaving. You know, they're yeah. staying and they're going to try to build you know, and move forward with what they had. But, I mean, they failed miserably in the playoffs. That was embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's the golden boy. That was the golden boy coach of the NBA. And 
when you, I mean, it is difficult to to deal with superstars and what they want. You almost just have to let them do what do what they please if it's a certain personality type. And I think, and obviously, I think the Thunder. You you want to be able to choose the right personality types to come into your organization. I think the Thunder have mostly had good good luck with who they've had. Like I think Kevin was pretty accommodating. I think Russell probably wasn't as bad until the last couple of years, you know, with with how he was going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you get a player like when you get a player that's that good. Those are the guys that run the NBA. Those are the guys that yeah. run teams. You know, you think LeBron James is being coached this year in Los Angeles? Like you've you've got another thing coming. Like I'm sure yeah. that there's some kind of agreement that's being made that like, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. I can make you look good if you like, or this could go really poorly if you're gonna try to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. And and to be like extremely clear, I'm not saying that Billy Donovan is a better coach than Kenny Atkinson, and or a better coach than Brett Stevens and or blah, blah, blah. I'm saying that it's very, very hard to measure how good of a coach Billy Donovan is. You can pinpoint to the things that he did well. You can pinpoint to the things where you probably want something back, like Samash Kristen or something like that. (laughs) But you cannot say, like, if if you look at the young talent that he had tell me a player that from year one to year two under billy donovan really failed yeah i mean probably nader but nader was a better player last season than he was in boston nader's just not that good right it's not that good but it's better like from day one of the regular season up to game 82 of the regular season better yeah he was better he was still in a, a player that I don't want on the court, uh, except for garbage time, probably. But he, he, he showed better uh, things in, in the games he played. He won, mm-hmm. he won a game, like, against Utah. I still remember that. No, I, I could I not believe to, that. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's important to evaluate all the things. And so Billy Donovan is a great coach in terms of development. He had a very, very successful playoff run, and he had his problems the last two and a half seasons, I think, coaching Russ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what kind of gives you hope for this season and the seasons to come. Like if Billy Donovan does become the coach for this team, we, and that's still to be determined. You know, that's that's not a foregone conclusion that Billy mm-hmm. Donovan's going to be the coach. I think that this is largely a tryout season for Billy. Yeah. And that may be unfair because he's every single season he's had a different roster makeup. But that's just that's the nature of the beast sometimes. And this season if he can show that he can help SGA make some progress, he can make, I don't know if Darius Baisley's ready or not, but if he can play of course and show some is. progress, great. He's an all-star. He's no. an all-star. Uh, Diallo, I think, is a guy that people are going to be looking at. I think Terrence Ferguson's yeah. progress. I think you look at all those guys, and it's not necessarily going to be judged on wins and losses like the last few seasons are. 
But I think it's going to be judged on the progress of these younger guys. And can can Billy be the, the coach to push those guys along? And, you know, Chris Paul and Gallinari and even Schroeder to an extent are like a little bit of just kind of this byproduct of what's happened to the roster over the past year. And if they have success with them, great. If they don't, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal. But I think he'll be really harshly judged on how are these young guys performing. Yeah, call me stupid, but I I still think that for both Steven and and Schroeder, you are talking about young players. They they are either in their early prime or getting in their prime, mm-hmm. and so I do think that for both of them there is a window of improvement that no one is really discussing, especially with Schroeder. With Adams, we are talking about circumstances like. Now you probably have four shoot you can have four shooters on the court and therefore you have much more space and CP3 is a guy that can throw probably the best lobs in the yeah. NBA or close to that. Mm-hmm. And and so you are talking about this improvement just in terms of the circumstances. You're not including the fact that a player like that has another year under his belt. And probably that is because the way Steven as in the, the last two seasons. You saw a great improvement in the first two, three months of the season and then a decline. And and that leaves you with a with a sour taste probably in your mouth. Mm-hmm. But I do think that for both, um, there is room of improvement. There, there are things that they can put uh, in their arsenal. Like, Danny Schroeder had a good season. Not a great one. Uh, it was not a spectacular player but if you think that he led the team for 15 games and he was particularly good at it running the, the, the show with PG and, and and other guys granted the competition was not great at the beginning and so they had very good success but I mean he shown that he can belong in a good successful team a team that won almost 50 games mm-hmm. as your six man basically so I wonder, I think he's 1994 or 1993. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, probably 1993. So a 26-year-old has room of improvement because he has yet, he's basically entered his prime. And we, we see guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCallum that are older than him improving every year. So why mm-hmm. are we assuming that a guy like that who showed we shot 34% from three on mostly catch and shoot. He was okay on pull-ups. And he, he was more effective than Russell Westbrook in pick and rolls. Why are we assuming that this guy, is, this guy will decline? Or why are we assuming that he, he cannot improve? Yeah. So those things are, to me, very interesting. Because if next season, all these guys that we are discussing have a good improvement from last season, even if you account from for um, Gallinari's decline because he had probably the best season of his life and he will play FIBA so he will probably be tired by the beginning of, this, of the season and he will have probably some need some time to, um, to, to to get back his energies to recover uh, and also CP3's decline even if you account for those I mean you're talking about a good team if those guys can improve a bit mm-hmm yeah, no, I I think I think that's a possibility, and yeah, Schroeder turns twenty six on September fifteenth, 
1993. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting aspect. I think he and Adams. I think that we, we definitely color Adams, you know, his whole even career with the Thunder by the last three playoff games that he played, you know. I think yeah. people forget that he scored 17 points and had nine rebounds in game one against Portland. You know, like, that's that's not bad, but then you look at the last three games. Ten points, seven boards, six points, seven boards, ten points, four boards. Like, yeah, like, he was not great in those games. Yeah, but, it was not good, yeah. But you, like, look back at his season. I mean, does anybody remember that he had a 2020 game last season? <laughs> Does anybody remember that? He had 20 points and 23 rebounds against the Kings last year in yeah. a win. I mean, I think people forget he had you know 20 points and 12 boards against the Timberwolves. He's He put up some stats. He had 17 and 15 yes. against the Lakers. I mean, 20 and 12 against the Pelicans. I mean, I think people forget that he's capable of doing these things. And, you know, you know against Indiana at the end of the season, we talk about like his decline at the end of the season. This was game 75 for the Thunder. He had 25 and 12 against the Indiana Pacers in an eight point win. Yeah. And he was great. An 20- important win, by the way. Yeah, a huge, that was a, a huge win. Huge win. He was a plus 13 in that game. Yeah. In a game that they just had to win. And I get it. Like, he's, he underperformed in the last three games of the playoff series, and it felt like he had just disappeared in a series that he was very much needed. If he would have just sustained what he had done in game one and scored 17 points and nine rebounds for the series, like we're not having, I think the conversations would have shifted a little bit, but I understand people saying that he, that he faded and he did, he faded in those last three games and it was kind of unacceptable, but you know, we, we can't act like he's a guy that, that can't put up, you know, big numbers because he did. You know, against Denver, he hit he had twenty six points and fourteen rebounds against one of the best teams in the Western Conference of Denver. So we can't pretend that he's like just like this nothing kind of player. He's, he's not even close to deserving his contract. And I, I get it; he is overpaid, um, but he's still a. You know, he turns. He's twenty. He just turned twenty six. You know, a month and a half ago. Yeah. So let's. I'm interested to see what kind of season he can have, and I just I don't want to pretend, I don't want to pretend anymore that he's just some guy that's just ineffective, because that's just not no. the case. No, three. If if you evaluate three <coughs> games of any player in the NBA, probably you will find some decline, some streak. It's unfortunate um, that those came in. In, in the most important part of the season. Mm-hmm. And and as much as those games should count and should give you probably a little bit of, again, uh, you don't want to see those in the playoffs, you have to remember that he had some amazing playoff moments. So yeah. you want to put, to put a little bit more emphasis on three playoffs games rather than three regular season games, of course. But it's still three games. It can happen. You can have headache. You can have fever. You can have diarrhea. You can have whatever disease that, of course, no one will tell you about. Or you can have three bad days at work. Mm-hmm. It can happen. 
it should not happen when there are high stakes. Um, but but it happens. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to, to neither totally discount those because they exist. They are important. Every data point, uh, it's meaningful. But you don't want to put too much emphasis on that as well. Yeah. I mean, you look at Steven's run, I think that we talked about him like being a potential all-star and like that seems silly right now. But you go back and you talk about the conversation around the turn of the new year last season. I mean, he had Mm -hmm. a streak where he had 20 points, 15 points, 21, 22, 20, 26, 16, 19, 20. Yeah. You know, in eight games. And it's like, oh, like what do we yeah. have here? And he kind of he ended that with the twenty and twenty three. He had a twenty twenty game. And I just think and if people. You, if you check that, you will see. Uh, uh, this is me guessing because I I don't have those numbers in front of me. But those were the moments where OKC was shooting the ball particularly well. Well, this I was could des- be mistaken. This was December. Yeah. So when. Shot- they shot the ball well more like January, February was oh, when okay. they were shooting the lights okay, out. Okay, okay, okay. And he and he had good games during that those during that stretch too. Like he was in double digits in nearly every game uh in January. He in fact he was in double digits in all but one game in January. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that gives you hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, a Steve apologist here, but I just think also like there's, there's this narrative being written about Stephen Adams that he's just not very good, and I just that's just not it's not the case. Has he just didn't perform at the right time, and that matters. Yeah. I mean, that we I can't yes. we can't pretend that that doesn't matter, and that all these moments in January and December matter more. They don't matter more, but they're a part of a holistic picture of who Steven Adams is as, as an NBA player, and I just don't think you can ignore them, is is my point. That's my point. No, and to to translate uh, into, not translate, transfer to the next section, um, Steven never really had, since KD left, a very good forward that can space the floor for him. Mm-hmm. And... Can you guess the point per possession that Danilo Gallinari had in spot-up situation, which accounted for 20% of his um, offense? Hey, before we get there, I want to tell you about something. Oh, okay. It's KP's Cleaning Service. They're a small business here locally in Oklahoma City. They service homes all around the metro area, and including mine, and they do an amazing job. I walked into my house Friday afternoon, my house just, it felt clean. It just felt so nice. And you can experience the same thing. They're dedicated to a unique cleaning experience. So you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. That's KP's Cleaning Service. Call or text them, 405-290-8172. That's 290-8172. KP's Cleaning Service is amazing. Support the people that support Down to Dunk and give them a call or text and have them come clean your house. Okay. Well, uh, you should have told me. Oh, I hope they have something here in Italy because after vacation, cleaning your house is horrible. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, 
This it is it is the worst, and it's been so great to have them. So I mean, no joke, it's been amazing. Uh, okay, points per possession on spot up for Gallinari. Yeah. Over under one point one. <laughs> I'll say over just because he had a ridiculous season. Yeah, it was one point two. Yeah. Like a round number, which is which is insane. Like <laughs> it means that you are shooting with an effect effective field goal of sixty percent. Yeah. And and yeah, it's it's quite amazing that he did so. And I mean, a guy like that who can run pick and roll, he can run in transition, he can have some decent efficiency in post ups. Like he he had one point fifteen in post up situations. Because when you switch on him if you don't switch, if you put a big guy, he can pull up on you mm-hmm. quite easily. If you switch on him and you put like a smaller guy, he can post you up. So having a versatile score at the four position, I think, will be extremely beneficial for uh, in general, but for Steven in particular. Yeah. And, and to be fair, points per possession for Jeremy Grant, 1.05, which is good. Yeah. You don't guard him. That's the point. It's true. Like, it's true. Even, if, even in the playoffs, Mo Harkless or whoever, like Aminu, uh, sag off him to put an extra man on either Steven or Paul George. Mm-hmm. And, and that was extremely important in the Portland series. Yeah. Of course, if you hit like five for five from three, like I think it happened in game three or something like that, then yeah, you you are effective anyway. But I can argue that it's more that a Gallinari that's that um, ends like three on eight from three is better than a Jeremy Grant that finishes four on eight mm-hmm. from three point range. Even yeah. if you add some percentage, because he is a different shooter. Gallinari on a spot up situation can shoot, uh, attack a closeout from the dribble, pull up. Or and or pass the ball. Jeremy yeah. can do just probably one of the things, and you can tell quite soon which one of those is. And it's never passing, or it's yeah. seldom passes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he is he is a play finisher, and that's what he is. And that's okay. Like he's he was very effective as a play finisher last year. Um, but you're right, and I've talked about that. Like if you if you're not going to guard him. It's going to be a problem, and the Thunder had guys, and that's I think that's some of what contributed to Russell's inefficiency last year is that you had Jeremy Grant, you had Terrence Ferguson, and you had Stephen Adams that you didn't have to really pay that much attention to outside of the paint, yeah. and and then when teams figured out we're just going to go under the screen on Russell and let him shoot it like that really, and I think it kind of shocked Russell in some ways and yes. you could even see it on his face like oh what am, am I and he's got all this space and I can just picture him in the Portland series having all this space out in front of him he's dribbling he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do and it was just like because one there's no space on the court for him because really the only true floor spacer was Paul George and at the time it was a hobbled both shoulders injured Paul George <laughs> Yes. And then you have Grant in the corner that it's like, okay, we'll 
we'll keep an eye on him, but I'm not going to stick to him. And Terrence Ferguson, it's like, is he really even on the court? Like, who cares? Um, yeah, that makes a huge difference. And so when you have guys <clears throat> like Gallinari who can do so many things offensively and do them to in just a crazy extent. I mean, take, you just go through in spot-ups. He was in the 91st percentile last season. Yeah. In isolation, 69th percentile. Pick-and-roll ball handler, 93%, which is crazy. Over a point per possession, which uh, the Thunder are we, point are guards we last year— say how huh? how much better Gallo was in, in pick and roll situation than our friend Russell? Or are we <laughs> You just... can say it. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not I don't, I don't remember the figure. It was something that started with point seven. Yeah, I think it's point seven eight. Seven eight? Yeah. Seven eight. Yeah. So we are talking point twenty five points per possession better. Yeah. Which is like if it's it's a huge figure yeah <laughs> like uh, it's was in the it's 93rd tough. percentile yeah 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 i mean yeah, it's yeah. this is like this is the elite of the elite right here which is crazy and it's i th- i think i want to illustrate like how much he could do for the thunder but also like what kind of trade chip he is if he's healthy i think if yeah. he's healthy is a huge part of it a massive part of it cuz if he gets hurt i mean the assets gone down the drain, but if he's healthy, the kind of help that he could be, and Portland's a team that I think just makes way too much sense. Yeah. Um, and if they could get him, like, why aren't they a contender in the West if he's healthy? If they can get Nurkic oh, back, sure. And they can get Gallinari, and you have Dame, and you have CJ. Like, why isn't that a contender in the Western Conference? You know, we're talking about Denver as a contender. Like, they don't have the depth that Denver does, but. Like, I don't know that the top three of Dame, CJ, and Gallo, like, I, I think Jokic is probably the, he and C, and Dame are probably pretty close as far as, like, the best players, and I'd probably take yeah. Jokic. But then, like, Jamal Murray, like, would you rather have CJ or Jamal Murray? Like, I don't know. Like, I might take CJ. Like, CJ's, CJ's really good. And then, like, you get to the third guy, Gallinari, like, he's way better than a guy like Gary Harris. Like, way better. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Like, that team could be a contender. Like, that could be a thing. And I think you probably look at the Clippers. The Clippers are at full strength, are better. Um, but, like, that team could go back to the Western Conference Finals. Like, that, yeah. I don't think that's out of the question. And you can argue that both Denver and Portland make sense for him. I mean, like, if you put him on Denver and... Yeah. Like, Paul Millsap is an expiring contract that one way yeah. or another you can either overpay to to retain because he will command money to 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 wherever he's going to to be because it's probably his last contract and you you have another player that i think makes sense with Gallo because it's true that in some sense having Jeremy Grant on the court at the four is is a good advantage on the defensive end yeah. Uh, on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, you would probably have to switch the things. Like, so it's it's not impossible to foresee a unit uh, for Denver that has Murray, Harris, um, Gallo, Jokic, and Grant, mm-hmm. where you can switch everything with the front court. 
and you can try whatever you need to do uh, in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. And it's like having a playmaker at the four position like Gallo is it's huge with Jokic because the ball will move even better than what it does right now. And you can concoct trades with OKC involving uh, maybe Michael Porter Jr. or if it if it doesn't blossom immediately or some other assets. I don't know. And Porton with Afrini Simons is the same. I mean, you you have Porton. It's extremely easy, like Bazemore and Simon and, and Afrini Simons, and, and you're done basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could do Paul Millsap and Malik Beasley for Gallinari and Andre Robertson. Yeah. I'm not ready to part ways with Andre before seeing what he is. Yeah. But but yeah, it makes sense. I I I want a little bit more than that though. Yeah, I just I don't know that they would part with Porter. Yeah, but they have picks. You can get a pick. Like they, you can yeah, ask for Jared yeah. Vanderbilt or something like that. You can ask for yeah, Bull Bull. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. It's it's asking for uh, I don't know, ketchup after you ask for truffles. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can. Some 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 guy may like ketchup and ketchup might be good on some dishes, but come on, it's <laughs> truffles. No. Well, it's it's not that usual difference, of course. Yeah, I and, think And to finish on Gallo, like Yeah. I think that one thing, uh, if you if you think about trading him, the numbers that we just laid out are pretty self-containing. Uh, like you can you can see why a team could lose a first-round pick for him, could, mm-hmm. could pay a first-round pick for him. Yeah. But if you think about keeping him and making him part of, of what you are going to do, which is again extremely unlikely, even if I like the idea, um, his numbers with Shea in the second part of the season for the Clippers were particularly good. Like, mm-hmm. if you go and clean the glass and take all the lineups that have Shea and Gallo after the Harris, Bradley, and Marjanovic trade, you have roughly 1,200 possessions and their net rating is plus 7.4, which is quite good. Yeah. Especially because the Clippers didn't have a super easy schedule. They have they had like I think a normal schedule in the second part of the season. And to be able to put up a hundred and seventeen point four offensive um rating with those two on the court. And granted there is a Lou Williams factor, mm-hmm. but there are also minutes with Patrick Beverly that I think it's fair to to say that offense is okay but it's the other part that is interesting. So being able to put up those numbers, um, it's it's something that I think it's interesting, especially mm-hmm. because you can kind of mimic the way the Clippers played with Schroeder and uh, CP3 being the lead ball handler and Shea doing other things as well, mm-hmm. like leading transition, leading maybe the first um, part of the action and then uh, letting... CP3 or Schroeder finish when you have to play on half-court settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that transitions us to Shea. And bef- before we get to Shea, I need to tell you about Peyton Marie Photography. You can follow her on Instagram at Peyton Marie Photo. Her website is PeytonMarie.com. 
She's an Oklahoma-based wedding photographer, and her main goal is to capture authentic emotion and unforgettable moments through bold and creative images. Her photography style is non-traditional, genuine, and a bit out of the box, and she believes your photos should be a true reflection of who you are and that your wedding photos shouldn't look like anybody else's. Though she's based in OKC, she loves to travel anywhere for destination weddings and elopements. So go to her website, go look at her photos. If you're going to get married or you have a friend or family member that's going to get married, just send them the link, PeytonMarie.com, at PeytonMariePhoto on Instagram. Send them a link to her profile and have them take a look. And then also tell them that if they let her know that they heard about this offer from Down to Dunk, you get 10% off. And it's an unbelievable deal for them. And they're going to get pictures that truly reflect who they are. And your wedding day, it's so important to get good wedding photos. You don't want to be like McKelle and be left <laughs> with photos from half of what happened because your friend does not follow through. Right, McKelle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for the ones who, who didn't hear the full story, my photographer got drunk after the first course. So I have great photos for the first part of the of the like for this uh, for the wedding part and mm-hmm. for the first part of the party but how can i say that the second part photos are a bit blurry and <laughs> inconsistent and so yeah i should have used like i should have hired a professional photographer especially with that sort of discount right it's unbelievable so support the people that support down to dunk and go to peytonmarie.com Okay, so SGA, there's just this hype train that is gaining steam right now for SGA. Mm-hmm. And I watched a little bit more of him over the weekend. And like, I, I'm very excited to see what he can be this year. I, I think that he can do probably more than what people think. Uh, he's a guy that can really create for himself. And yep. he didn't have a ton of chances to do that last season. I mean, he was more of a guy that facilitated the offense. He was a, a spot-up shooter. You know, he he played in transition. He's a, He can be a one-man wrecking crew in, in transition, too. He does it differently yep. than Russell. Like, Russell just grabs and, and just forces it down your throat and just is going to just jam it in your face. I mean... SG is a little bit different because he's gonna he can grab rebounds because the dude's got crazy length for a guard. Yeah, it's six six. He's huge. With, with with good wingspan, like with positive wingspan. Yeah. He's massive. And so he can grab and go, but he's a guy who picks his spots. He's changes speeds a lot. Like Russell, there's something incredibly special about Russell Westbrook in that his speed is a level that no one else can get to. Yeah. Um, and that's why he can just go, and people are either going to get out of the way or they can't keep up. SGA is different in that he's going to find the spots in the court because he doesn't have that elite speed or that elite burst that Russell does. But he knows how to use his body and get to the basket and kind of weave in and out and get there. Um, and he's he did that multiple times for the Clippers last year in transition where he grabbed the rebound and he'd just go. And I think that that's going to bode well for him in Oklahoma City. And, you know, I think I think we like to joke about, you know, Stephen Adams boxing out for Russell and 
I think that that's probably going to happen some for SGA too. I think that that's yeah. that's going to be a beneficial thing for this team is to to grab and go, especially as the season wears on and if Chris Paul and Gallinari and whoever's gone, I mean, it's going to be beneficial to play faster for these guys. Yes. And so what helps you to play faster is if your point guard can grab and go. And that's I don't think just because Russell's gone that that's going to completely go out the window. Um, let's talk some numbers with SGA. Um, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, and I, it's he's in the 58th percentile. Points per possession is um, 0.85 points per possession, which is yeah. really good. Like this is, and we're talking about a rookie, and it is rare that a rookie point guard can make a positive impact on a team. Now they can put up stats and do all these, do lots of crazy stuff. You know, you take a look at like Trey Young, like he was amazing last year. But as like as far as having a positive effect on a winning team, a team that honestly, when they traded Tobias Harris, I think they were obviously open to winning and getting to the playoffs. I don't think that they, but I don't know that they thought that they could sustain what they had because I oh, think no. Tobias Harris was by far their best player, or so it seemed. And they were able to just have guys step in. I think Landry Shamit was actually a pretty big part of that because he's, he's yeah. a guy that played a lot of minutes for them. But SGA was a huge part of it too. I mean, they had him running point a lot for them. And down the stretch, he was a very, very important player to them. And as a pick-and-roll ball handler to be – uh, in the 50th percentile, you're better than most players in the pick and roll. I think that that had an effect on them. Spoiler: He was better than both Russell and Chris Paul. Um, it's, <laughs> he was. it's it's not to say that he is a better player in pick and rolls because it's yeah. not fair to either yeah, of the player not. that I mentioned. Right. Yeah. But but you can you can see the makings of a player that can manipulate the pick and roll in a different way than both of those guys. I mean, Chris Paul is a master of throwing a lob or uh, probing the defense and then pulling up for, uh, from, I don't know, 12 to 15 feet. Russell was a train wreck. He was going so fast and he's so strong that he could jump from the three-throw line and dunk it. This is not Shea. We will not see that. But we will see a guy that use angles this is some something that i always loved about james harden mm-hmm. the way he you and it's a thing that i truly love about luka Doncic is the way you can use angles in pick and roll by angles i mean the way you use your body to create a driving line it's that it is a good one this is an open one and if you go 100 100 miles per hour, you may find it difficult. If you are switchy, if you can change direction, if you can change speed, if you can accelerate with either the first or the second step, and it's different. You can create different views, not better views in in general, but different. Again, Russell, when had space, when he ran spread pick and roll with KD, was unstoppable because he had space, and it's very hard to contain a guy who has that speed in a pick and roll setting, especially when you have to guard it one on one, in a crowded area, that might not be the best way to attack pick and roll, especially if your jumper leaves you. Shea has a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and these things will be interesting to watch because this is one of the things that I remember us talking about him in the draft. That when people were saying like he's a good he's a good um, point guard, he's maybe the best one in the class. That we were we disagree on that. We lost Trey Young quite a lot, mm-hmm. but we both acknowledged the fact that he was switchy in terms of being able to get to the rack uh, using different kind of moves that any other player in that class didn't have. The way he uses he uses like um, sort of viewer steps and stuff like that to create. Uh, basket was truly amazing. It's something that I, I really want to see happening. And he's also he's adding stuff. Like if you watch uh, the games against the, the the Warriors that I watched in great details and some other here and there, you can see a guy that is trying to to build up a pull up game uh, from mid range. And we, we we said it too many times. But if that translates also from three-point line, then we are talking a completely different player. And to be honest, I'm really excited to see if he can do that. I'm not sure about it, but I'm I'm sure that I will, I will be there to watch it and see if he can develop something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to watch him and not make the Harden comparison when it comes to the pick and roll and how he gets into the paint. I think it's... Yeah. it's <laughs> and you don't... I don't like necessarily want to make that comp because like you don't want to one put that expectation on yeah. him. That's uh, a pretty high bar. It's, it's it's one of the highest bars. I mean, we're talking about an MVP, um, and I and I don't know that SGA can be an MVP, but it's it's hard not to make the comp when you watch him get into the paint and what, when you watch him create for others because he does have that change of speed. He's so crafty. And he's going to get around defenders. He's not a guy that's going to go through guys. He's a guy that's going to go around and he's going to manipulate the defense. And it's it is very James Harden esque. And it's oh man, oops, motorbike. motorbike. Yeah, <laughs> it was also far, like hundred yards, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even see that. Um. Okay, as a spot-up player, he was in the 51st percentile, so he was pretty good as a spot-up guy, 0.99 points per possession. It's not great, but it's good. No, it's not great. Yes. It's good enough, I guess you could say. Um, inter- yeah, and he, yeah, he was okay in the second part of the season, I think. Mm-hmm. He, had, he, he increased his volume for sure. Yeah. In transition, he was okay. He was at 1.04 points per possession, 35th percentile, so not wonderful. Um, no, uh, he's got a lot to improve there. Which yes, I, I think that, and that could come from you know I talked about grab, grab and go. Like he, sometimes you can force it, and it doesn't end up being super great for you. And so um, he may have forced too many opportunities. Now this number is interesting. It's very interesting, but there's such a small number of possessions. It's hard to say whether this is significant or not, or if this was just lucky. But he ranked in the 87th percentile in isolation last season. It's only yeah. 47 possessions, so we're talking very, 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 very low number. But he's 1.06 point per possession in ISO last year, and that could end up being like 0.78 this year, and like which just like doesn't matter, you know. Um, yeah. But it's something to watch for. Is yes. can, can he create in isolation? And if he can, like. 
The things that make guys superstars is one, you can create in isolation. That you can just go get a bucket. And that's what stars do. And if he can shoot a three off the dribble. To me, those if he can do those two things, like you're talking about a star. And he does everything he does everything else. He plays defense, he's a good passer, he can get in the lane, he can get to the basket. If he can pair that with a player that can create an isolation and a player that can shoot it off the dribble from three, you're, you're, that's a, like it's it'll be impossible for him to not be a star. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's about right. And if you can include also the passes in your analysis, I think that in both uh, isolations and pick and roll, he improves his own production uh, yeah. with others. So he when he passes the ball, when he's able to. Uh, assist other guys the production actually increase and so it's 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 meaningful i think uh especially in the pick and roll distribution he he has a good amount of passes uh like you can say that 60 percent of the time he tries to score for himself and 40 percent of the time he tried to assist others which is again for a guy that shared the court with two other creators at least uh gallo and lou or bev and gallo it's it's a good number and again, this might be all fluky because of the numbers of um, attempts. Uh, the number of possession is not that great. But it was there when it counted, and it was there for a good part of the season. And so, I mean, you can um, you cannot trust a single season. We saw that with uh, with Tatum, with Mitchell. If you project that to a higher degree, then you may be wrong. Yeah. But it could also happen. I mean, James Harden had... Um, the first year in the league, which was good, not great. It was quite similar in terms of numbers uh, to Shea, and he blossomed from them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you never know, but you can see that the makings are there, uh, and the fact that he's a hard worker bonds well with uh, with an improvement. How big of an improvement? Uh, I don't. Uh, we don't know. We are, we, are, we 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 cannot see the future. But but again, I think that the things are there and um, we'll see mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll stop there we have some numbers on Chris Paul but we'll save them for next week uh, one because we're running out of time two because we need to stretch out some content until we get yeah. to the season so we'll we'll talk in depth about Chris Paul's season last last year and kind of go into the numbers and talk about what kind of player he can be and what kind of player he was so uh, tune in for that next week uh, thanks for listening to our podcast. Uh, you can follow McKelly on Twitter at Mikey Barra. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. Follow our podcast at Down to Dunk. Leave us a five-star iTunes review. If you have an iPhone, it's crazy easy. Soup. It's just go to the Purple Podcast app, search Down to Dunk, and hit five stars. If you leave us a message there, you can type it in. Uh, that means a lot to us. I see all of them, and they mean mean a lot to us. Uh, so if you could do that, uh, we would appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great day, and we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday.